0: Oh, <sighs> so I was all set up to record this cheery, like, hey, subscribe to our Patreon because the the blah, blah. And then fucking Schoology. I got another email from Schoology. This is not an advertisement from Schoology. I actually sort of hate them about missed assignments. So instead, you're going to get the real me. Hi. Uh, so I have a lot of exciting episodes coming out on Patreon. For just $5, you can get tips on how to stay sane during college application for you and your kid, expert advice on growing your band from a pretty badass media strategist, Uh, an explanation of the controversy of DNA and whether the use of it to solve crimes is actually an invasion of privacy, A closer look at New York's epilepsy colony that really lasted much longer than it should have. Think like 70s, 80s, as in 1970s and 80s, where treatment meant actually you're just stuck here for the rest of your life. And also an early release of a two-part episode where I speak to a psychologist who only learned that her husband was leading a double life when he turned up dead. So... Subscribe to the Patreon at the $5 level if you want to hear any of these episodes. Thanks for listening. <sighs> Text me if you hate Schoology as much as I do. Ugh. My name is Dr. Lindsay Wisner. I'm a psychologist, author, a mom, and still an occasional shit show. You're listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. This is a place for smart, sweary women to talk about stuff that matters, stuff that can make us uncomfortable, but stuff that helps us to learn and grow and be okay with living in that discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or do all the time. Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Instagram at psychshrinkmom or at neuroticnourishment. So uh, I am here with Johnny Crowder and w- of Cope Notes. And, uh, you know, he did a TED talk. We'll get to all that. But I think the greatest thing was the first time we had contact was through one of these like matching up. Um, it wasn't match.com, I'll admit it. But one <laughs> of these, or JDate, uh, but or Tinder, one of these matching up like, you know, podcast hosts with, um, you know, people looking to guests. And uh, it's something I'll, I'll do occasionally and I'll back out of much like you, I'm sure your schedule goes from super busy. And then if you have a lapse, it's nice to sort of reconnect. Yeah. And like, I have people telling me tremendously awful things that have happened to them and then being like, but I'm a good example of what's come out of it. And after a while it gets to be almost like a Mad Libs. I'm like, are they making this shit up? But you were great because you're like, honestly, I'm looking at your description, I'm looking at mine, it's a no fucking brainer. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of all he had to say. And so <laughs> and so it stood out to me because like we didn't have to go through, um, here's my whole horrible life story. And not that it's all horrible, but for me, I'm the kind of person who like, when bad shit happens, I call my friends who are gonna laugh with me at the shit that happened because mm. That's my survivor skill. So just your blatant, um, is a no brainer. I don't have to sell myself to you and not in an ego way. It was just so clear. I was like, yeah, I looked up Coke notes. I was like, we're a great match. Let's set this shit up. So um, I appreciate that. And I've been looking forward to this Um, just to give our audience a little background. Um, You are 29 and... You look at smoking hot um, musician. <laughs> if we've got, I've got like thousands of headshots. I should sell them. Uh, if you join my Patreon, I'll, I'll give you one for free. There we go. Yeah, that's what I should do. Um, and so, uh, yes. And Johnny is also, but he's also deeper than that deeper than a smoking hot musician. I mean, okay. Uh, and um, so you're 29 years old, you've survived suicide and abuse. Um, and through this all, you you were also in treatment for some time. Uh, and then the, the end arc of the story that we will get to in a minute is all the amazing things that you've done with your experience. But can I ask, what was it that, um, made you finally seek treatment, either voluntarily or involuntarily.
1: Yeah, I always have to give credit to my mom for basically forcing me to engage with treatment. And you'll know this because you mentioned you're from Florida. Um, My mom said it like this. She said, either I can take you to the hospital or I can call someone and have them take you to the hospital, Mm -hmm. which is Florida speak for Baker Act. (laughs)
0: And then Marchman Act, if you fail the Baker Act, yeah.
1: Yeah, so there was, and trust me, at this point in my life, I knew how to like play the game, quote unquote. Like I knew how to say the right things and act like I wasn't in trouble so I could get out of trouble. But this was following a particularly problematic um, behavioral outburst. So I used to have really bad temper. Um, Unfortunately, I, I grew up around a lot of violence. So I learned that that's kind of how you, behave when you have those feelings. And, um, it it was one of those times where, you know, I'd been resistant to treatment pretty much my entire life. And my mom was like, this is your, like, this is your breaking point. Like either this is your last chance to voluntarily be voluntold to go to treatment or, you know, the police are going to come help you go to treatment. And, I, I said yes out of fear, but I honestly didn't even consciously participate in treatment for the first like year and change. I was how just how old were you? I was fourteen. No, no, no. Fifteen. Okay. Fifteen or so. Um and it was a very dangerous event where I put myself and other people in danger. And I think that's what kind of pushed my mom to that point where she's like, we can't just let you sleep on this forever but i did spend about a year in and out of treatment being completely non-cooperative like it took me a while to actually start consciously participating in my treatment
0: so you were only baker acted once well you weren't was- you went voluntarily baker
1: acted yeah because i i agreed to go <sighs> with my mom
0: the number of times I have seen people be corrected and nothing comes of it. Or I used to work mm-hmm. in DC, it's the Irving Act, and then it's something else in New York that I forget. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and then the other funny thing is, thank God you didn't realize this, or thank God mom had an impact, but is if you go voluntarily, you can come out voluntarily, you know? Mm. It's, uh, fortunately, you didn't. And so even though it took you some time to come around to it, you were also 14.
1: Yeah. I was it's funny cuz I I was team like anti-clinician for a super long time cuz for some reason I viewed them as the enemy. Sure. Like anyone who has a master's degree or above has such a different life experience that they don't know who I am and what I've been through. And then I wound up going to school for psychology thinking That's like awesome. everybody thinks I'm going to become the good clinician. Like right. I'm going to be the only one who knows anything about what people go through. And it's funny to see that I, like when I was younger, you couldn't pay me to become a clinician. And then when I actually went through treatment, I was like, I'll become a clinician, show these stupid clinicians (laughs) what what the real truth is. And as I started taking courses, I was like, oh shoot, they were all right about me. You know?
0: It's funny. Like I definitely, um, you know, I became a psychologist initially because someone told me not to, that asshole that I mentioned before. And then I just, I ended up getting a fellowship at um, doing research. And then everyone there was going on to say, said graduate school. So I was like, I guess I'm going to graduate school. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was just that kind of thing. And so, I mean, in retrospect, it was a path that I should have been on, you know because of my mm-hmm. history, but um, but I do remember the first time I was in session with a patient and, and being like, yeah, I'm not really sad, I'm really depressed. And, I, and my initial instinct was to look for that red phone that you read about that there used to be, you know mm-hmm. and be like, you should talk to someone about that. You know, it takes a little while for me to, um, you know, and then I thought I was going to be Freudian and I went to do like this huge analytic postdoc. And then I was like, yeah, I don't want to put someone on a couch for four hours. But, Mm. you know, like it's, uh, it feels not, how can some, like I feel I have to open up a bit to, especially teenagers for them to open up Oh, yeah. To me. So it's very funny what we think we're going to be, and then what we do, which we're giving this, you know, this trembling person that we have to find a way to break through to.
1: I honestly, my whole MO initially, like why I'm so passionate about peer support now is when I started treatment, I was adamant about having a therapist. A psychologist a psychiatrist like anybody i worked with i was like they have to have all of my same diagnoses which makes the pool ever smaller and you get to a point where you start turning down every single yeah. clinician that you see just by virtue of them not having the exact same cocktail of diagnoses that you sure. have sure sure and to my surprise The woman who actually made the largest impact on me, like the woman that I actually stayed with for an extended period of time, because I was jumping around like crazy before. And the woman I actually stayed with had none of my (laughs) same diagnoses. She was just good at her job. And I was like, dang it, I am proved wrong yet again by these people that I don't want to admit are really smart.
0: And yeah, there's obviously something in you and probably something with your relationship with your mom that made you stick through it you know um it is interesting though at a lot of the you know rehab recovery centers there they are run by former um you know Mm -hmm. addicts which i uh, i don't know i don't know how that works i it's i it's either a great idea or it's a, a a bomb waiting to explode but i think so far it seems to be a great idea i mean
1: for me it's the balance like, so peer support, in my opinion, is extremely undervalued in the marketplace. Like so many people say, well, I'd rather meet with a g- clinician, but then so many other people say, I'd rather meet with a peer because I have that same distrust of clinicians. So there, we're in a an environment where access to both peers and clinicians is really valuable I agree. because there's going to be certain types of people who won't see one who will see the other. So what we've done with Cope Notes is we just have... Peers write the text, but clinicians review them because we can't have just one or the other or else it will feel so one sided to people who deal with self stigma like I was.
0: And, you know, we're going to I'm going to get to code notes in a second because Mm -hmm. you just opened it up and it's fascinating. Um, But the other thing about uh, that peer influence is that for many diagnoses, if you put a group of like if you put a group of juvenile delinquents or anorexics or. Uh, you know, whatever together, they just learn to be better at what they do because they all share, you know? And so like, in fact, you don't want that unless you're doing DBT, which somehow is like a miracle that manages to get all around this, you know, but I agree with you that peer support is important. Like research shows certain populations have the potential for, however, if you feel like you're going through this alone, that's not helpful either.
1: Yeah, it's honestly for me it was you know when I started engaging with peer support and it took me a while. So this is like you know I was in treatment in high school and then when I went to college um there were like some peer groups around campus that I tried to find and then I went to um I got involved with NAMI yeah. in college and I was sitting with somebody and having someone else describe a hallucination and me going like same. Oh no way, that's totally the same. I didn't think like let's hallucinate together like let's get especially for my for my OCD I was always like looking for ways to get around my obsessions and compulsions rather than actually deal with them but hearing other people share what they were going through and then have me share something and people just nod I'm like oh this is surmountable because I just went from being one out of 8 billion people who has ever experienced this to now there's maybe three or five of us anecdotally. And that feels so much more um, conquerable to an individual, even just connecting with a few people who who don't look at you like, you don't step on crack. Some people go, yep, <laughs> feel that. I'm like, oh, I'm a person for a moment, you know?
0: Um, I, I said this a lot before, but one of my children was diagnosed with, we always knew he had ADHD, but we went through the real diagnosis Well, now people know which child it is, but he went through the real diagnosis, uh, fifth grade, because they start changing classrooms to prepare you for six, which prepares Mm -hmm. you for high school. It's a fucking joke. But regardless, suddenly it got too much. And uh, when I went and filled out the child's forms for the, the psychologist, all of a sudden, I started seeing myself in there, and I was like, "This doesn't make sense." I'm like a thir- i think I was like a thirty-nine-year-old, you know. I'm a doctor. Why would this? Well, because I missed the diagnosis period by a couple of years, mm. and I—I I went to a neurologist, and I was like, "This is going to sound nuts, but I think I might have ADHD." And he's like, "Well, do you procrastinate?" I was like, "No." He said, "You don't." And he's like no, I can't procrastinate. I can only pay attention to something for so long and like, you know, ding, light bulb overhead, you know? And um, from my child's anxiety, I'm like, oh, I'm not the only one. Like mm. that worst case scenario that plays out over six very complicated and unlikely things, I'm not the only one. And so yeah. my child and I now have um, T-shirts that say, Um, ADHD is awesome. Look, squirrel. Um, And then we'll also like share it together, as in like it's our superpower. It's whatever. But um, it makes him feel less alone, and it makes me feel more understandable that why I had to fight so hard for doing things. Mm -hmm. Like like, you mean other people can listen to directions, like (laughs) I can't. I can listen to two. Right at yeah. the light, left at it, and then fuck it, I'm lost. So yeah. Um, so tell me how and when Coke Notes got started.
1: So it was never part of the original plan. Like my <laughs> original plan was to become a rock star from day one.
0: I still vouch for you on that.
1: Bye. I appreciate it. We so when I went to. When I was in high school, I took two years of college level psych after I started treatment, because I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. And then when it came time to go to college, I had a scholarship through my uh, magnet program. But I told my college readiness person, like, I'm not going to college, I'm going to go be a rock star, my band's going to get signed and tour the world. And he was like, okay, but if that doesn't happen (laughs) (laughs) you need to prepare so i wanted to choose something like music or writing because that's what i was passionate about my parents were like you're not gonna waste a full-ride scholarship on music or writing you better pick a real thing so i picked psychology without knowing that if you don't have a master's or above you it's really challenging to do much (laughs) um with a psychology degree and so i was in in school for a couple years Learning about psych. And then my band actually did get signed. So after I finished my AA, I left to start touring full time. And as I was on tour, I was having all these peer support conversations with, you know, you're only in a city for like 16 hours and then you drive. Yeah. 16 hours drive. And so I was having these like peer support conversations with fans in all these different cities. Cause I was writing about what I was experiencing and people would come up sharing their stories. And I was like, wow, this is like peer support on the road, like a tour, a peer support tour. So I started doing um, some peer conversations and some peer groups, but the problem was I would leave their city and not come back for like nine months or a year. Cause you, you know, who knows when I'll be booked in your city again. So, um, there wound up being this gap where people felt really, um, understood in a peer support setting. And then I would leave and they'd be like, I don't know anybody here. And I was like, shoot, I wish I could leave you with something. So I created something called not a therapist. And this was a peer support, a digital peer support resource where people could book time with me. Um, And you could do like text message or Facebook message or Skype or phone call, whatever worked best for you. But the problem was all of this time was volunteer. So for literally until like starting in 2011, I was doing volunteer peer support and public advocacy for years, not being compensated at all for it. And then when I start not a therapist, I wind up having to book people two months out because I can't find anybody else to help because I can't pay them because no one's paying me. Right. So we hit this scalability issue where my time was limited. And then if I were to hire peer volunteers, their time is also limited. Yeah. So I wanted to create an infinitely scalable version of peer support where we could, we could serve a million people a day without anything breaking. So I took people's, Critiques about not a therapist, like I wish this was anonymous, and I wish I didn't have to book appointments. I wish I didn't need a smartphone. All of those, um, those comments that people made and tried to create a, a an infinitely scalable peer support tool, which is what Cope Notes is today.
0: And so you basically send out, um, you you'll send out. I, I'm not sure how often, but you'll send out positive. I don't want to call it affirmations, unless you want me to, but like positive, encouraging messages.
1: Yeah, there it's one or two texts per day, depending on what you choose, and they're randomly timed. But the cool part is, the content is all written by peers with lived experience. So we're we're not just sending affirmations; we're sending Good. exercises and journaling prompts, psychology facts, like all this like health education type information that is designed to train your brain to think in healthier patterns and the randomized timing means that we are interrupting negative thought patterns like it's you never great. know when we will text you or what the text will say but you know that you know after 90 days 180 days 365 days of using a tool like this you your brain grows accustomed to challenging negative thought patterns because you have those reps in so rather than having like one session once a week, like one hour, once a week, once every two weeks, we're just saying, you know, 30 seconds here, a minute here, as long as you do something every day, but you don't have to remember to do it. We will reach out for you.
0: And you're actually doing a version of EMDR and that you're encouraging the brain to find new synapses.
1: Yeah, we, so I get a little nerdy about it. So EMIs so are... Ecological Momentary Interventions. Okay. It's like the neuroscience that Cope Notes is based on, which is for anyone who's listening who is not as nerdy, it basically means that um, your brain thinks thoughts that use the least amount of calories because it's always trying to conserve energy. So some of those easy thoughts to think might be negative in nature. So all Cope Notes is doing is interrupting those negative thoughts with a catalyst for positive thought. So that over time, the negative thoughts feel a little more foreign and the positive thoughts feel a little more natural for the brain.
0: Are you saying there may be some weight loss in this for me? Because I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) Maybe (laughs) we've, we've heard some really interesting success stories of people using Coke notes and it's helped people get sober, reconnect with lost loved ones or divorce an abusive partner, like all sorts of interesting um, experiences. And I, I have heard people experiencing physical health improvement, sure. literally because they're not judging themselves the same way they would for, uh, okay, kind of a quick diatribe. Yeah. Have you heard about the study with the milkshakes where they give people three different or two different types of milkshakes no. and they frame one mil- milkshake A as a healthy, fit, slim, treat yourself, but be responsible type of milkshake. And they frame the second milkshake as like indulgent decadent like <laughs> thick and rich and then the two the two groups of people actually they digested the milkshakes differently based on what they thought really? the milkshake was okay. so your brain the way that your brain um i have a good friend who's an eating disorder therapist i don't know if that's the right word sure. and she was helping me understand how when we judge ourselves for Um, taking a day off of the gym because our knee hurts or having a bag of chips because we're low on sodium and we want something crunchy in the middle of the day. When we judge ourselves for those things, it changes the way our body um, processes and stores calories. Absolutely fascinating. fascinating. So cope notes is doing that, but in every area of your life, it's framing, it's helping you reframe the way you interpret information and from there change flows.
0: So when we spoke initially, I had I'd said, like, because I'm at research dork, I was like, I would be fascinated to see the research. And I think it wasn't complete yet. It wasn't ready yet. But you've obviously have been gauging the results in some sort of way.
1: Oh, we have. So we have two qualitative studies that we've completed with the University of South Florida, and we are in data collection for a quantitative study. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. I wasn't doubting you. Yeah. I was just saying, I still want that shit when you get it because I'm oh super yeah curious. Um, so I, another question. So I, the, um, what's the, to- oh, talk therapy that they started doing uh, where like you text with a therapist and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I briefly looked into doing it at one point and then quickly decided it was too much of a liability for me to assess someone who I've never seen you know and now granted as a you know as a licensed mental health professional my it it, perhaps the burden's more on me than on you but I I mean how do you get around that and I'm not saying I text with my patients but I also Mm -hmm. see that you know like it's a relationship that develops in multiple ways so how do you um, provide help without having to worry about a negative consequence you
1: know yeah we so we don't ever diagnose anybody and we don't have people fill out questionnaires about what they're going through or anything to start it's we tell people think of um, so something like that like going to see a therapist or using a crisis resource might be the equivalent of going to a dentist office to have a root canal taken care of or something but you could think of cope notes as a toothbrush and floss
0: Okay, Sorry. I resent the root canal, but I get what oh, you're no, no, saying. No. One's I, a daily use, thing and the other's a weekly or whatnot
1: thing. So, the reason I use root canals because it is a specialized thing that only certain people can do. You don't mm-hmm. want to go to just anybody for a root canal. You want to go to someone who has been doing it for 35 years and is a specialist. Or
0: no Whereas one for tooth a toothbrush and
1: floss. You could, I mean, children use toothbrush and floss. It's really that preventative maintenance like check-in cope notes is that you don't need a lot of, um, knowledge up front to use it. It's not necessarily a medical device per se, but it does go a long way in keeping you happy and healthy.
0: Yeah. And I love the fact that you're ever to prove this by, you know, brain and neurology and all, all that exciting things. Um, I guess, when did you realize you had something big or you Um, still don't think it's big? I'll tell you it's big.
1: Last week, when we hit, we sent our one millionth text message. And I think that's when it, you know, I I moved the goalpost a lot. And I think when we sent our one millionth message, I was like, holy crap, this is like, and of course, by this point, we had already accomplished a lot of other things. But I think is whenever you create something you are If you accomplish something, you immediately move the goalpost and you're looking toward that next thing. And I think 1 million texts, I had been dreaming of that for almost four years. So when you finally hit that, you're like, oh, maybe this is pretty legit, you know? But we've, I think earlier than that, they were just the testimonials. Like when someone would send us a message saying, like, Cope Notes saved my marriage or, you know, Cope Notes made me apply for grad school and I wasn't going to go or you know all of these amazing stories it just it blows your mind to think that something as simple as like a couple sentences in a text message can do that but the thing is we we focus on cumulative growth so a single text message maybe it'll change your life and that has happened but it is much more likely that one text a day for 3 or 6 months yeah. is going to make a big difference and that's really what we encourage people to do is don't Picture your mental health journey as like the flip of a switch, but rather something that will take a long time, but will be very worth the time and effort that you put into it.
0: And so people choose to sign up for the one or two uh, messages a day. Yeah,
1: they can pick um, one text per day or two texts per day. We found out through our research with USF that more than two texts per day and you start expecting them and they don't really surprise you. And then less than one text per day. And you don't have the consistency necessary to form new neural pathways. So there's like that sweet spot, you know,
0: which is amazing. I imagine there's got to be a charge for this. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm not, that doesn't make it bad. I'm just saying like, you don't, you don't, you need money to run the world world. And although I think that you're more making a change in the world, like I, you know, I, I, I also think you have to, you got too many people on board to, you
1: know? Yeah. That was ultimately, it was one of the biggest weaknesses of not a therapist. Like it was a very well-intentioned project, but if we didn't have money coming in, we couldn't hire people and then we couldn't support people. Yeah. So our, our true, our true North with cope notes for pricing was we always wanted to be a hyper affordable resource in the market. So a lot of digital health resources are 300, $400 per month. And we were like, how do we make cope notes how do we provide cope notes for an entire year for less than the price of a single therapy session so right now our pricing is right around 10 bucks a month give or take based on your preferences and we wanted to make sure that when we serve these larger groups and these underserved communities um, for an individual to pay for it a lot of people fortunately do have eight nine or ten dollars over the course of a month Um, to put towards this and then for those who don't have eight nine or ten dollars they can work with one of their community organizations who will sponsor them for a subscription so we have like gift and group subscriptions for that because imagine if it was 400 bucks a month i know a lot of people who wouldn't pay for that and then I also know if you were to seek a sponsorship, like your YMCA is like, we're not paying 400 bucks a month to sponsor this, but a YMCA might say, oh, if you don't have $8, we'll, we'll comp it for you so that you can get that support.
0: I mean, that's fantastic. And I mean, I guess getting the word out to the YMCA, et cetera, to sponsor people, I, I wonder, was that the toughest part? Um...
1: Yeah, and and still is actually there's so there's. We serve individuals like you and I could sign up or we could buy a subscription for our son or daughter or friend or family member.
0: I'm so, so excited th- we're having a child together, by
1: the way. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> news <laughs> to everybody. Um, there, we do have that personal and gift side of our business, but where we are really seeing the greatest cultural impact is through contracts with like healthcare systems and government school districts. These are where you know, a room full of 14 people that I present in front of are making a decision to influence like thousands of lives with daily support. That's where we're seeing the most impact.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I think you're starting from a ground up, so to speak. And I don't know if it's a bottom-up or a top-down. I didn't do well in business. I never took a single business class. <laughs> um, but We're
1: doing both, basically. Okay. We're talking to individuals and then talking to community leaders and saying, how do we reach those folks in the middle?
0: So you're in Florida. I'm in New York. Is What's the area that you've done the greatest reach in so f- lately?
1: Probably florida but we have users in 94 countries around the world so we are really spread out i would say florida just by virtue of um a majority of our staff living in florida and um, me doing advocacy in the state for the last 10 years has allowed me to maybe get an email answer from someone quickly because they're like oh i've that guy's volunteered at my event for the last 10 years i'll answer his question you know
0: which is fantastic. Um, I also think if you don't keep moving the the barometer, the the, the mark, you'll you get. Um, I want to say complacent, but what I really mean it's sad. Like I think mm-hmm. this gives you something to get up for in the morning, hopefully among other things. But yeah, you know, I think finding new goals and and you know that's huge.
1: It's honestly been a huge part of my own recovery too, because I spend so much of my day around like health education content and thinking about like how can we help our subscribers live healthier lives? How, what types of features would trigger healthier habits in the brain? So all day, every day, I am either speaking with, um, prospects and clients around their own mental health needs and and learning about the great needs that are out there. Or I'm with my team brainstorming, like, how can we make each other and the people we serve healthier? So it's an interesting headspace to spend time in when you're someone who has been in recovery for a long time and has had to think critically about my own mental health. Like, I will find myself checking myself just cause I'll get off a call with my team and go like, wow, I need to walk the walk here. Like if we're doing this for other people, I need to do it for myself.
0: Which is incredible. I mean, you know uh, and it's gotta be so, so supportive and so supporting and such a um, it's, it's like an AA, but it's like a constant, you know, it's like a 12 step mm. program, but it's got 84 steps.
1: Mm. Uh, I like that
0: yeah I mean that's uh, and you're you're literally immersed in it, which sounds really great, and it sounds like it would be hopefully a lot tougher to relapse, rebound into either anything like uh, emotional or you know physical. So um, it's amazing what you've set up for yourself and for the world, um, what's going on with the music though?
1: Oh, yeah. That's cool too, because it's related to mental health. So my band, so I sing and write the lyrics and a lot of the music for a band called Prison. Yep. And it is heavy metal, like new metal, alternative metal type stuff. Um, so if you're into metal, we're on Spotify and Apple Music and all of the normal places. If you're not into metal, we are still there. And I encourage you to check out at least one song. And is but this
0: last album still alive? Is that what I'm looking at?
1: Yeah. So that's our last full length record. And it, we got it because we played, um, obviously I speak about mental health on stage and between songs. And there was a fan who, after seeing us got a tattoo on his bicep that said still alive. And this was years ago, um, 2017 maybe. And he said, um, I never made another attempt on my own life after seeing you guys live like I chose to want to continue being a person. So in turn, we named our next record after that fan and his tattoo. So we have a very like collaborative relationship with fans. In fact, the first song on that record is called Hurt and it's a minute long and it is composed of clips of our fans talking about what they've been through and how they are still alive. And if you want goosebumps, look no further. It is so moving and it's clips of them.
0: Yeah. I'm definitely going to check it out. I'm definitely going to put it in the show notes. It's, I mean, it sounds absolutely amazing. Um, So I'm on your website. So I know that we can tell people to go to johnnycrowder.com com mm-hmm. um, and then your band is called prison and it for some reason i feel the need to spell it out because everything everyone else fucks up spelling these days so <laughs> p-r-i-s-o-n um, and then uh what other sites direction should i steer
1: copenotes.com is your best bet like one-stop shop There's also, um, if you want to go to YouTube and just search Johnny Crowder, you can watch my TED Talk. Yep. And I would say between copenotes.com and johnnycrowder.com, you have pretty much everything you need right at your fingertips.
0: Now, do you you fundraise if people are interested in supporting this? Is there a place to...
1: Yeah. So one thing that we've done, that's been really cool. We haven't like set up a formal thing for it. Maybe we should, but we have lots of people say, Hey, you know, I have a thousand bucks that I want to put towards a cause that I really care about. And we say, we can set you up with a, like a group subscription code for you as a donor. And then you can just like be Santa and go give subscriptions to people So nice. or you can donate subscriptions to, um, you know, like your local veterans organization or your, your local foster youth program. You're like, hey, I have a thousand bucks. I want to put it towards Cope Notes subscriptions for this organization. And then we will assign them subscriptions that they can give out to the community that they work with. So if you're interested in that, there's a contact form on the Cope Notes website or just copenotes.com slash contact. I think you should
0: totally add something special so that people know that they can do yeah, it. Yeah,
1: that'd be really cool.
0: Cause That is awesome. Um, Johnny, thank you so much. I am so excited. And I hope we um, we like re-meet in like a year or so, so we can update where, where you are. Cause I really want to follow your journey. It's really pretty fucking amazing.
1: Heck yeah. Thank you for having me. We'll thank put it in the you. calendar for October 12th, 2022.
0: Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, shout from rooftops, smoke signals, hot air balloons, whatever. I'll take any of it. Uh, And if you really like what you're listening, why don't you become a patron? Join our Patreon. Visit us at patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment. Thanks.